All right, welcome. Uh, I'm Harvey Kuyani. I come from Malawi. I live in Liverpool. Currently, I'm working in Leamington Spa. I'm a theologian, a mathematician. I have been in the vineyard for quite some time, and actually in, in several countries. So I, I, I was sort of connected with the vineyard in Malawi growing up. Uh, and later on, I got connected with the vineyard in, in South Africa. Um, and then I found myself in Switzerland. So I, I worked with the vineyard in Switzerland and crossed over to Austria, worked with the vineyard in Austria. I crossed over again into Germany, worked with the vineyard in Germany, came to the UK, came to Trent Vineyard for a good four years. I went to Minnesota, Minneapolis, went to Minneapolis Vineyard and planted a vineyard in St. Paul. Um, so I've, I have a sense of um, what's been going on in the movement across several countries and, and across several years. That's, that's, I mean, what I just said here is a 25-year long journey. Now, I, I, I think partly because of growing up in Malawi, um, and, and then from Malawi, the first time I come to, Switzerland, to, to Europe, I'm in Switzerland. Uh, so it's a sort of actually polar opposites. Uh, you, you don't get any further culturally from Malawi uh, as, as you would probably in Zurich, right? I, I became aware of several things. Uh, first thing that I was aware of was uh, the fact that our, our sense of Christianity, uh, the, the, day we, the way we process our faith is always shaped by the culture where we are. Right, that um, nobody comes to this thing without their cultural lenses. And that actually translates into the way we read the Bible, that we all read the Bible with our cultural lenses on, right? Uh, the, 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 the things that I'll see out of the Bible, if I read it with my Malawian lenses on, it's going to be different from what I see in the Bible if I'm reading it as a, as, as, as a white British person. So there is that. And then there was something else. I left Malawi at a time of a revival, right? Uh, something that probably would be hard to explain here. But people were converting, and, and maybe converting is not even a good word. People were becoming born again, surrendering to Jesus in large numbers. And this was going on for a good 15, 20 years. Right, that that um, uh, I, I tell a story of um, when I was in uni, uh, we had we had one of these moments, these seasons where the the presence of the spirit was so heavy in that uh, university campus that people were becoming born again just by dreaming about Jesus speaking to them or somebody preaching to them, right? And and I, I had several of those come to me and say. Hey, I, I had this weird dream, or I heard this voice in the night. I want to be born again, right? So I, I, I came out of that context, found myself in Switzerland, where 
Christianity was almost non-existent in St. Gallen. It's just unbelievable. And so I began to see, I began to see things differently. One of the things that came clear to me in that context was uh, even when white Swiss churches were closing down, the African churches and the Asian churches were blossoming, they were growing. So possibly God was doing something. Uh, actually, God, possibly God was doing something by bringing these people from around the world to Switzerland, to, to the land of the Reformation, right, to revive the faith. So I, I, as I said, I lived there for three years um, in, in, in Central Europe, came here. And, and when, I came, when I came to the UK, I also realized that actually what's, what, what I saw in Germany or Switzerland is not too different from what I'm seeing here, right? That uh, people have come from around the world. They have brought the faith back to Britain. I come from Malawi. I come from the very, very place where the very first British missionaries had their first mission station. If you've heard about David Livingstone, he met my ancestors in my village. We have two Livingstones buried in my village until today. Right? And so, people like me have come from the lands where your ancestors sent missionaries to bring back the faith to Britain. I, I went to America, lived in America for seven years, uh, experienced life um, in, in, in an American city that's become now negatively famous because of George Floyd. But I lived in that context for, for seven years. Now, and, and then come back to the UK. Those seven years in Minnesota drew my attention to the growing presence of non-Western Christians. So in Minnesota, you're talking about African Christians, Kenyans, the many Kenyans in Minnesota, Tanzanians, Liberians, um, Somalis, and then many people from Latin America, right, living together. Um, you begin to realize that actually what God is doing uh, and, and Minnesota was, was better than, than other places. But what God was doing, God was growing the African churches and the Latin American churches while the white American churches were, were sort of struggling. And then we begin to realize that actually there is still some segregation going on within the body of Christ. Right? And that segregation, um, in most cases, is not necessarily the intention. We don't... We don't plant churches to, to segregate, right? Of course, the methods that we use lead us in that direction. And, and one of them is actually at the center of what we, what we did in the vineyard long ago. I think we are shifting now. But back then, there used to be something called the homogeneous unit principle. And the homogeneous unit principle really said that people want to belong to a church without crossing cultural barriers. Okay, And back then, it was a brilliant way to grow churches. If you plant a church, just go and find people who look like you, talk like you, think like you, and tailor your church to meet their needs. It will grow. Okay, uh, but, but of course, it, it leads to some awkward things like, you know, 
if you want to if you want to reach black people in your city, go find uh, black pastors and send them to to reach out to black people. And same with Hispanics. Same with this. Same with that. Um, so we end up with a segregated church. It's Martin Luther King who said uh, Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. I, I, I do think that that's still the case uh, in America. Uh, we know for sure, research, that 92% of congregations in America are made up of people of one race. 92%, that's, that's almost all of them, right? So black congregations, white congregations, Hispanic congregations, and, and they don't mix. Here in the UK, uh, the data says we are probably around 70, 75% of the congregations. So still very much segregated. And again, I think some, 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 some people are still using the homogeneous unit principle to plant churches. So they're still perpetuating this, this segregation that we're talking about. Now, I argue that this segregation is not in God's kingdom plan, right? That this is, this is human wisdom uh, that's being put to use in a, in a way that actually, in, at the end of the day, destroys the body instead of making it healthy. And, and to, to back up that fact, let, let, me, let me say this. Um, when the church starts in Acts chapter 2, Luke, the writer of Acts, is clear. There were Jews, devout Jews from every nation on earth. I don't know how he knows that. I don't know what, what his all nations on earth is like. But he believed that there were Jews from everywhere around the world. Okay? And, and then he goes down. Um, by the time he hits verse 11, he's beginning to explain and mention some of the nationalities that are represented. All right? So the Cappadocians, the Egyptians, the, the, the Libyans, uh, all these people are in Jerusalem on this specific day. Prior to this, uh, the world of the first century AD was really shaped by migration, especially migration of the Jews to the land around the Mediterranean, right? Such that when people come, and, and, and you know from the Old Testament that uh, God required them to come back to Jerusalem at least uh, three times a year. All men should come back for the key festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And so this is, the, this is Pentecost. This is uh, one of the key festivals where everybody comes from, from around the world to be in Jerusalem. And actually, I forgot. Fire exists out there if the fire alarm goes. <laughs> We're in Acts 2, you know? You don't know what, what can happen. But the Spirit comes down, right? And you see the fire, tongues of fire on, on people's heads. And they begin to speak in tongues. So, miracle number one. Of course, the fire, the noise, everything. Miracle number two, these people are speaking in tongues. Miracle number three, the people outside are hearing those tongues in their own home languages. Okay? If you'd come from Carthage, you'd hear these people 
120 of them in a room. I'd, probably they don't even know what they're saying. But you hear them speaking great things of God in your Carthaginian language. God is mixing them up in a way that actually when, when those people leave the city, they go back home, they go talking about, you know, something weird happened in Jerusalem this year. Long before the missionaries arrive, right? The, the testimony goes. But, but part of that testimony is simply this, that God has intentionally done this on a day when the world is in the city. Am I making sense? So the argument is, actually the spirit draws us towards diversity. The spirit loves diversity. It loves mixing us up. It loves diversity so much that people would hear languages that they, they and others would speak in languages that they never learned before. Okay, so let's let's move forward. Um, Acts eleven. There has been um, um, a, a persecution going on in Jerusalem, and the people are getting scattered in large numbers. One of the things that you you realize by the time you get to this point in the story is that Pentecost Acts two really symbolizes, for, for us knowing the story of Jesus, it symbolizes the, meet, the meeting of the Galileans and the diaspora. Does that make sense? It, it symbolizes the meeting of the, the, the people who had followed Christ from Galilee, uh, and probably now we have, I mean, we have, we have maybe 500 disciples, so the, but, but they are all located within Palestine. And the people who have come from Alexandria and they've come from Antioch and come from Rome and come from Carthage and come from all these places, they meet together in Acts 2, right? They, they continue to live together. By the time we get to Acts 6, there's a conflict, right? The, 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 the Jews from around the world have become so many in number that... Uh, the ministry has to adapt, right? And, and, and that adaptation in Acts 6 is the, the, the um, hiring of deacons, and, and all of them have Greek names. So most likely they've come from, they, they are from among the Jews that have come from the, the diaspora, have come from other parts of the world. So by the time we get to 11, the Jews that had been Christians in Palestine Actually, the whole, the whole body, of, the, the, whole, the whole fellowship in Jerusalem is being persecuted, and they are all running away from Jerusalem. They get to, they get, they, they, leave, they leave Palestine. The Jews who had lived in, in Palestine all their lives decide in Acts 11, they decide not to evangelize the Gentiles. They, they say, no, we, this faith is ours. We, we're not sharing it with the Gentiles. It is the Jews who had come from the diaspora, uh, born and raised in, in, in Rome or in Corinth or where, speaking probably two languages and able to understand several cultures, right? 
It's the Jewish, from, the Jewish people from the diaspora that actually say, we are going to evangelize Gentiles, right? And so this happens in Antioch in, in chapter 11. And when that happens, in the context of the Roman world, this is a very religious uh, time. So some people are worshiping the emperor, right? The, the, that's, that's their religion. Others are doing their pagan religions elsewhere. The, the Jewish people are going to the synagogue. Uh, people are divided according to their religions, right? It is the Christians who actually move beyond that to create worshiping spaces where Jews and Gentiles could worship together. Am I making sense? Where, um, unlike, the, unlike the Jews, they're not going to the synagogue on their own, or the, the, unlike the, the pagan religious people are not going to their pagan temples, these people are coming together to follow and worship this uh, Jewish Messiah. Something unique, something new, right? And it's because of that uniqueness, the newness, that uh, people say, you know, what, what shall we call these people? Who, who are they? And, and Acts tells us that that's where the term Christian was coined. Am I making sense? It's, it's, it's coined in the context of uh, cultural diversity. It's the cultural diversity that makes it necessary for these people to have their own label. Am I making sense? Okay? And, 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 and the bottom line here is this faith, this Christianity, really needs to be lived in the context of cultural diversity. It makes better sense that way. Okay? Now, let's fast forward 2,000 years. We are in Britain today. And, and actually, it's, it's, I, I like the fact that we are in Britain because we are at the forefront of this, uh, much, better than, much better than any other Western country. Right? We, we, we have a lot more diversity, plus we, I think we understand it better. Right? So here in the UK, we, we do know that cultural diversity is growing. Last census, 2011 census, non-white British people formed 14% of the population. That was up 7% from 2001. Okay? Um, we just had the census this year, and I, I don't think the stats are out yet, but it's going to be more than 14%. The, the diversity is growing. We're living in a country that's becoming more and more mixed. All right? Now, um, that means, and, and, and maybe let me back up a bit. What's happened in the world in the past 50 years, since 1970s, is that Christianity has gone back to being a religion of probably the, the, the non-Western world much more than it's been a religion of the West. Okay? Um, 
when my parents were born in the 1940s, 80 to 85% of Christians in the world were white living in Europe and North America. Okay? Today, it's not 80% anymore. It's around 30%. Right? In the past 70 years, the percentage of Western peoples in, in Christianity has gone down massively. And what has happened to make that happen is that Christianity has exploded in Africa and it has exploded in Latin America and exploded in parts of Asia. Right? A massive explosion uh, in the context of Africa from 100 million in 1970 to 700 million today. Right? There are more black Christians in the world today than there are white Christians. Nobody saw that coming, at least not, not that fast. All right? A, a typical Christian today is not, is not, is not a white virgin. No, it's, it's, a, it's a black woman probably in Nigeria or in Brazil. That's what a typical Christian is. Christianity is no longer a religion of the West. Right? Now, migration has made, has made it possible for Christians from those other parts of the world to find their way to Britain and, and many other European countries. I mean, Britain, at, at the peak of the British Empire, um, it, it spanned all the time zones, right? Okay, from, from Vancouver to, to Hong Kong. All right. And, and, and because of that history, and the same history could be said of Germany or France, because of that history, once the European colonial uh, empires crumble in the 60s, people begin to come from those parts of the world to, to Europe, right? So, at, uh, probably you know about the Windrush scandal, right? The British people needed, the British government needed, needed people to come and work, drive buses and, 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 and dig the tunnels for the tube in London. And, and what do they do? They go to Jamaica and, and the islands and say, you know what? The mother country needs you, right? And, and people come here to the mother country and they realize that actually, and, and the funny thing is at this point in time, at this point in time, um, if you were a citizen of a British colony, you were a citizen of Britain, right? People would come in carrying British passports, only to realize once you're here that you're actually a second class citizen, right? Uh, and, and, that's, and that's what leads us to the, to the, to the, to the Windrush scandal of the past few years. But people have come from Ghana and Nigeria and Jamaica and, 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 and Pakistan and India bringing their faith, their Christianity with them to the UK. Right? They're just as Christians as you are. Probably they will, it, it's got, their expression of Christianity will be different. Right? And actually, I think it needs to be different. 
If it just looks like your Christianity, there's something wrong. Right? I, I, I heard when, uh, one politician in, in Manchester two years ago complaining that the Africans, African Pentecostals, have brought a strange religion to Britain. What is this religion? I don't understand it. It's, it's Christianity. Just looks different because it's coming out of a Nigerian culture. And actually, we need, we need it to look Nigerian. We need, we need Kenyan Christianity to look Kenyan. We need, we need Brazilian Christianity to look Brazilian. That's the only way we are going to receive the gifts that God has given the body through the Nigerian church. Am I making sense? And so, here we are. Uh, and... and uh, I will talk about the vineyard in a moment. But here we are in, in Britain today. You, you, you realize that on any given Sunday, 60% of people who go to church in London are black. Right? Let me repeat that. 60% of church attendance in London on any Sunday will be black. And you know, Black people form only 14% of London's population. Okay? So 14% of the population is accounting for 60% of church attendance. That's weird. <laughs> if you take black people out of London, what's going to happen? Am I making sense? Now, let's go back. So, so we, have, we have all these Christians from around the world. They are here uh, in, in, in Birmingham, in Manchester, in Liverpool, in Glasgow. They're here in the UK. And yet, we find ourselves still segregated on a Sunday morning. Right? And the reason we're segregated, it's, it's not necessarily a theology. I think theology, we can, we can understand one another theologically. It's, it's the culture. Right? It's, it's because um, everybody wants to do this thing um, the way they understand it through their cultural lenses. Okay? And so, my plea is that we begin to make the shifts. To begin to embrace the gifts that God has brought to the UK from around the world, all right? And the vineyard is at a very good place to do this. On the one hand, of course, it's, it's growing around the world. Uh, on the other, it's, it's a movement that understands culture to some extent because it's a musical movement, right? Music is culture, right? Music is culture. So, as we, as we worship, as we do our vineyard music, as we do whatever we're doing, we embody a certain culture, right? And as, as, as the vineyard grows in Kenya or in, in Chile or in wherever, as the vineyard grows, we, we have a choice. 
whether to actually let the music genres of that place shape what they do for worship, right? And then actually if we do it that way, then those gifts from the genres that emerge in those places can feed into the movement. Right? So the movement then begins to have access to the multicultural reality that the body of Christ is. All right? That uh, it shouldn't be a surprise uh, for us, at least in the vineyard, as we understand ourselves to be, to be the vineyard, shouldn't be a surprise to sample South African worship, West Indian worship, all right? Um, and, and I do think that, I actually, I actually argue that actually music is the best place to start. Because, of course, uh, all cultures have their musical expressions. And, and because, of course, music is, we, we, we are all shaped by our music, right? Um, and and music, music does something to your brain. Music reaches down to the depth of your souls, right? And, and when, when we begin to allow ourselves to, to sample or be fed, um, share the, the musical gifts that God has given us in our little corners of the world, uh, not only will we be enriched theologically, I mean, um, we joke about how the Africans talk about God compared to how white British Christians talk about God, right? Um, we, we sang your way, way maker yesterday, right? That's, of course, it's a Nigerian song. That's, that's typical Nigerian ways of talking about God, right? Um, and and when, we, when we tap into that, we are... learning from, being enriched by, how Nigerians talk about God. And, and the way that that song has gone around the world, right? And, and of course, I mean, it's an anointed song. It's, every time it comes on, you, you feel the spirit come down. Okay? And, and the, the gifts that God has given us in Britain to be shared with the world. It is in this way then that, starting with even our neighbors here, right? We, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't just get to talk about how do, we, how do we shape our relationships with the vineyard around the world, because the world is already here in the UK. How do we, as the vineyard in the UK, begin to shape our relationships with the, with the Nigerian Pentecostals that are renting out the school block next to us? Right? Uh, when, I, when, I, when I planted in, in, in Minneapolis, one of our churches had uh, right next to it uh, a Ghanaian church, right? Um, Ghanaian Pentecostal. Our vine this vineyard church would send nurses to Ghana every year, but did not realize that they have Ghanaians right next door. Okay. 
if they had seen, as in recognize the presence of the Ghanaians next door, probably relationships would emerge that would, that would change both what they were doing. The world is here. It's here. It's, it's in our neighborhoods. And they bring gifts to us. The body, as I said earlier, the body is, shaped, is designed for community. It's designed for diversity. That without diversity, without community, with another, with a different other, the body cannot function properly. It's one body, it's one kingdom, but it needs diversity. And God has given us the diversity. Right? That we can, we can meet together like this. I, I do hope, I, I do pray. I, 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 I mean, I, uh, we're expecting that probably uh, non-white people will form maybe 18% of the population after this census. I'm longing for the day when uh, we can meet like this at a cause to live for, and 18% of us are people of color. And what we do, and, and not, not just, not just you know, in presence, but what we do reflects that diversity. That the music that we, that we sing includes genres from around the world. This soft rock sometimes gets boring. <laughs> I'm sorry. But yeah, give, give me some reggae. Give me some rock. All right? And, 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 and that the people who are in front ministering to us reflect that diversity. God has given us a gift. It's too precious a gift to not pay attention to. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your patience.